Well, I welcome all of you that are here at the North Richard Hills campus of the Hills or all of you that are watching around the world online. We are in a study we just started last weekend called Greatness as we explore what is my favorite chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. And I call it Greatness because every great theme in Scripture is in Romans 8, as we will see in the weeks ahead. Now, it is football season, and I don't have to tell you, especially here in Texas, that many people are devoted to their team with a fervor that is almost like worship. So you can appreciate the story I heard recently of a man from Mansfield, Ohio. He was a Cleveland Browns fan. And if you know your NFL, you know the Cleveland Browns have never been to the Super Bowl. In fact, only twice in the last 20 years have they even made the playoffs. This man passed away. And in his will, he made a final request that six members of the Cleveland Browns football team would serve as his pallbearers. Because, as he wrote, I would like for them to let me down one last time. (laughs) Because many people go to their graves disappointed. But many people leave their graves disappointed. Why do so many people who have been buried with Christ, never seem to experience the abundant life that Christ promised? Why do so many with that no condemnation status that we talked about last time settle for a no transformation existence? Today I wrestle out loud over a matter I've struggled with for over 30 years. How people can, for decades, claim a Christian identity. And there is no visible evidence their life has been in any way affected by that claim. Now, Paul has an answer. And his answer is greatness. But it's blunt. And it's controversial. We saw last time that if you are in Christ, you are under no condemnation. Period. No means no. In fact, we said if you preach the gospel the way it is supposed to be preached... Someone's going to think, well, is he saying it doesn't even matter if we sin? That's how strong the message of grace and no condemnation should be declared. But Paul is going to deal with the issue of sin under grace. And the message is greatness. Verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh... Have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. Big word here. If, indeed, the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, he means because of what I just said, because if you're in Christ, the spirit of Christ is giving you life. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Okay, here's my question. Did you accept Jesus' life as well as his death? Because the New Testament makes it clear that the effect of Jesus' death will affect every life that united to it. That to Paul, it is absolutely impossible to have actually connected to the death of Jesus without tangible, visible expression of new life. That baptism is not just a burial. It is a rebirth. He says the same thing back in chapter 6. Look at it with me. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death. Now watch. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, here's that word again. If we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus, 
You see, if you came in contact with the atonement, Paul says there's going to be obvious, clear movement. There's going to be something different about you. If you are under no condemnation in Christ, you're going to manifest real transformation like Christ. And this helps me with my struggle. How is it that people can for years and years and years call themselves Christian and there is no evidence of new life? Simple. Because they're still dead. That one of the biggest problems in churches today is that churches are filled with members who are not saved. Because it's easy today to be a Christian without being saved. You just have to have your parents say when you were a baby. They're a Christian now. You just have to go at a summer camp one night when you were a kid. And give your life to Christ. You just have to have a nagging mate drag you to church and you finally sign a piece of paper. You just have to be born in America because in America we're a Christian nation. And so unless you claim something else, I guess you're just Christian. It's very possible to be Christian and not even be saved. Now, I know this is pretty controversial, but I want you to hear me out. Paul is not comparing weak Christians to strong Christians. He is comparing people who are dead to people who are alive. And how do you discern who is spiritually dead and spiritually alive? Okay, bad joke warning. So a guy takes his dog limp body to the vet, puts it on the counter. And the vet walks in and says, that dog's dead. And the guy says, you haven't even done any tests. All right. So he goes and comes back with a Labrador retriever. That lab sniffs all around that carcass and barks and walks out. The vet says, dead. Then he goes and gets a cat. That cat walks all over that carcass. Nothing, not even a flinch. That dog is dead. That's $600. And the guy says, what? $600 just to tell me my dog is dead? He said it would have been 50 if you'd taken my word, but now you've got to pay for the lab work and the CAT scan. Okay. <laughs> I warned you. The point is, it's not that complicated to know if someone is spiritually dead or alive. The sure indicator, Paul says, is the evidence of the indwelling spirit of Christ. Because if someone is alive, then the spirit of Christ gives evidence of that life. He says, look again, verse 9. Remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all and Christ lives within you so that even though your body will die because of sin 
The Spirit gives you life. Because you've been made right with God. And the Spirit of God who raises Jesus from the dead lives in you. So you come to Christ and you contact His atoning death. Something happens. You become a new person. People notice. They say, what's gotten into you? And Paul says, no, it's who's gotten into you. My friend Toby Slough pastor at Cross Timbers Church puts it this way, that God did not give you his Holy Spirit to put a quiver in your liver, but to help you say yes to becoming more like Jesus. And a great life will confess the yes. What does it look like? Paul gives us some clues. He says, if you are truly filled with the Spirit, he says, you are newly Alive to the Lord. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The great life is alive to God, but the life governed by the flesh is not. He says life in the realm of the flesh is dead. Now, he doesn't mean that in the realm of the flesh that you are necessarily grossly immoral. He simply means you're numb to God. Pretty much 24-7, you live life numb to God. But life in the Spirit is constantly focused on the things of God, how to honor God, how to please God. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit, he says, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. William Wilberforce, passionate evangelical leader in England who led the movement to abolish slavery there, was dear friends with William Pitt, the brilliant intellect and prime minister. Now, Pitt, like most Englishmen of that day, was Christian in the sense that he was born in England, so that makes you a Christian. He had no spiritual life, no heart for God. So, Wilberforce kept inviting him to church. And so finally one Sunday he came and he heard Richard Cecil, powerful evangelical pastor who just lifted up Christ, held up the cross. Wilberforce was rejoicing inside and praying for his friend the whole time. And as they walk out of the sanctuary, Pitt turns and says, Wilberforce, I do not have the slightest clue what that man was talking about. Because he's dead. You see, when you came to Christ, when you received life in Christ, God gave you new software to run in your mind. And the Holy Spirit started to transform, to reprogram your mind. Paul will say later in Romans 12 too, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That same verse in another translation says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. When you start to let the life of Christ take over, your brain starts to think differently. You start to see life. You start to do life. You start to think life 
through a new lens. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 23, let the Spirit change your way of thinking. You see, you don't just think about Jesus, you think like Jesus. So we have this ministry here called Daniel Ministry, where different ones of us have uh, requested to have special needs in our church prayed over. I signed up to pray over all the new Christians. And so every month I get a list of the new Christians. And I pray over everyone by name. And I pray the same prayer every month. I pray first that they will be protected from the evil one. Because as soon as you leave the kingdom of darkness and go to the dominion of light, darkness puts a target on your back. I pray second that someone will come into the life of every single new Christian that's an older, wiser, more mature saint to mentor and disciple them. And I pray third, that they will be renewed in their mind and start to experience a completely new way to think. Because when you think like Jesus, you are liberated. And it starts with the flesh. Paul says, when you have new life in Christ, do you understand you are truly free of the flesh? Now, let me explain that your salvation in mind is not yet complete. Because I'm still in this sin-infected body. The seeds of death are in this body and in yours. We are wasting away. Have you noticed? I mean, you can go to a gym, have plastic surgery, get your hair colored. But you are getting older and it shows. If you don't believe me, get a mirror or a teenager. They will tell you. (laughs) Until we get our resurrected bodies, we are going to deal with the pull of the flesh. But life in Christ, while not eliminating... The pool eradicates the power. Do you think Jesus is going to deliver you from the penalty of sin and not also deliver you from the power of it? Look again at chapter 6, verse 6. We know our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. Your new life in Christ, even though it's housed in unredeemed humanity, recognizes a new master. So you no longer have to do what the flesh compels you to do. The flesh says, obey your thirst, but you don't take orders from the flesh anymore. In fact, he says, we have an obligation, but not to live according to the flesh. That word literally means debtor. You don't owe the flesh anything anymore. And one reason we're living puny lives instead of great lives is because we've been duped. Harry Houdini, the famous escapologist, used to claim there's no prison cell I can't get out of. So this little town in Britain built this new prison. They said, our cell is escape proof. He said, I'll get out in one hour. They put him in, closed the door. He went to work. He worked for two hours to trip the lock and never could. In frustration, he quit, leaned against the door, and it flew wide open. Because they had never locked it. And the whole time he thought he was in prison. And he wasn't. And neither are you. 
when you died with Christ, do you understand every legal claim sin ever had on you was satisfied? So you don't have to take orders from the flesh anymore. Look again now, chapter 6, the next three verses. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Please note, he did not say, therefore, do not ever sin. You can't do that. But you don't have to let sin reign anymore so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. And this absolutely repudiates one of our favorite excuses. Well, I was just born that way. I've always had a bad temper. I get it from my family. I'm just a guy, you know. Every now and then your eyes going to wander. That's just what guys do. I don't, I don't let go of things. I have trouble forgiving people. I'm just kind of wired that way. Yeah, I struggle with saying no to this sin or I struggle saying no to that addiction. But, you know. That's just how I am. I guess I was just born that way. No, you have been born again. You have received new life in Christ. And the flesh doesn't have the power or the permission to tell you what to do anymore. Now, please understand, saying no to sin is not the way to get justified. Saying no to sin is the evidence that you have been justified. You can do it now. You can say no now because you're in Christ. There's no condemnation and you've received new life to do what you couldn't do before. The faith in Christ that made peace with God is going to make war on sin. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying, okay, you get saved by grace and then you turn over to grit and try to be holy. You can't win the battle against the flesh in the flesh. What did he say? If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because you see, when you have new life in Christ, you're fully victorious in the Spirit. We said last time, when you come to Christ, righteousness is imputed to you, but also it is imparted to you. And now you are under obligation to live out this new righteousness that Christ has poured into you. This doesn't happen by lists and by laws. Don't go back to the old way of law. The flesh can only produce temporary behavior modification. I think about this every so often when we see in the paper, and it happens every several years, a terrible tragedy that somebody at a sea park has been killed in the water with a killer whale. And we're all stunned because that whale had been trained. So we're shocked that a killer whale killed. That is its nature you can train but after a while that nature is going to express itself so paul says you don't train the flesh 
It needs to be slayed in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You're not able to live for God unless you live from God. Unless you allow the Spirit of God to lead you into this new life you can now have. And the Spirit will lead you into holiness. Not so you can be saved, but because you are. The Spirit will nudge you to do the right thing. Even when it's unpopular. Even when it's costly. The Spirit will convict you when you're about to do the wrong thing. Don't go there. Don't say that. Don't cross that line. The Spirit will increase your hunger for God. You'll find yourself wanting to read the Bible more, wanting to pray more, wanting to be with God's people more. The Holy Spirit will call to mind those scriptures for those sword moments. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, and you're in a moment, and you need a word, and suddenly the Spirit will prompt that scripture and speak to that moment. The Holy Spirit will just guide your mind more regularly to the things of God. Now we've all seen a Christmas tree and we've all seen a fruit tree. And at first glance, they're both pretty. That Christmas tree has been decorated with all kinds of shiny baubles. They're just one thing. The tree is dead. And at some point, deadness will overwhelm everything else. That fruit tree's alive. That fruit is produced naturally, regularly, continually, because the life is coming from the tree. Paul says, verse 25, we get our new life from the Spirit. So we should follow the Spirit. And here's one thing I've learned about people full of the Holy Spirit. They don't have to tell you they are. You just have to look at their life. Some of you are old enough to remember the late 80s. Ronald Reagan was finishing his second term as president. George H.W. Bush was vice president, running and winning the nomination of the Republican Party. The Democrats were having a big uh, campaign, and Senator Gary Hart was the leader for the Democratic nomination until there were reports that he had had extramarital affairs. He challenged the media, well, just follow me and see. So they did, and he was. (laughs) And his campaign imploded once he was caught with a young woman named Donna Rice. Donna Rice was raised to know the Lord. She did. 
She says she went off to college. She started dating boys who didn't know the Lord. Said you make a bad step here. You make a compromise there. And after a series of decisions, you wind up in a place and you wonder, how did you ever get there? And she will tell you, even when I was with Senator Hart, the Holy Spirit was telling me, don't go there. Today, her name is Donna Rice Hughes. She leads a ministry called Enough is Enough. And it is a ministry to help young people and especially girls to be away, aware and protected from the dangers of internet pornography. She is now a champion for purity. Because she stepped into the life that was always there for her to have that she had been denying. And so, as your pastor... I've got to ask you a really hard question. Are you dead or alive? And you might think, well, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't alive. No. It's quite possible to be a member of a church and be dead. All of us in Christ... Have the Holy Spirit. But does the Holy Spirit have all of us? He has some of you. Some of you are living the great life. You are living the abundant life. I I didn't say that you never have trials. Some of your days are full of trials. But even those days are full of God. And life isn't always easy. But life is great. Because every day, you just have this connection to the Spirit of God. It's the life you always wanted. I think some of you are alive, but asleep. You have learned how to quench the Spirit so effectively that you live most of your week numb To God. And yet, I know you're alive because every now and then, deep inside, you feel the nudge. You know God is calling you to more than you've settled for. And what you need to do is repent. Jesus said, repent, the kingdom's here. It wasn't a rebuke. It was an invitation. He's saying, don't settle. Don't settle for natural life. When I'm offering supernatural life. And some of you are dead. And you know what the problem is? If you're dead, you can't even understand what I'm saying 
apart from the miracle work of God to open your ears to His truth. And so I'm going to pray right now that that will happen. So Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name that you will take this teaching from your servant Paul and penetrate every heart listening to my voice with the message they need. For some who are alive in Christ, increase their joy. For some who are asleep, increase their courage to step into the life they were called to instead of the life they've settled for. And if anyone hearing my voice is dead, God, you've got to do a work because my words don't contain resurrection power, but your spirit does. So open ears and hearts to the penetrating, powerful, good news of Jesus. For His glory, we pray this. Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to have response leaders all across the front. I don't care if you're sitting way up in the corner at the top, at the back, I don't care where you are. Some of you need to respond. Some of you need to come down and just say, I'm alive in Christ. And I need to pray with someone and just thank God. Some of you need to say, I I have settled for less than the life Jesus has called me to. Pray over me. Some of you need to get saved today. Please come while we worship.